Migration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome. Um, my name is uh, Luca Cobato, and uh, today um, I have the opportunity and the pleasure to interview Professor Jan Cosen. Jan Cosen is a, a faculty of medicine and health science or health science in the Department of Periodontology and Oral Implantology at Ghent University in Belgium. With, uh, uh, with Jan today, we are going to discuss uh, about a very hot topic, which is uh, uh, immediate implant placement and immediate implant provisionalization. And uh, we are going to touch um, the uh, surgical aspect, uh, and mainly we are going to discuss uh, uh, the very uh, uh, only publication we have in the literature with the 10 years uh, follow-up, a 10 years uh, prospective study on single immediate implants that uh, uh, Professor Cousin published uh, in General Periodontology in 2020. So uh, please, uh, Dr. Cousin, welcome and thank you for being uh, with us today. Thank you, Luca, for, uh, for introducing me. I'm very uh, pleased to, uh, to be able to share this knowledge with you on the long-term outcome of immediate implants. So we published in, in uh, 2020, I think, the the Sassens the paper on the 10-year follow-up <clears throat> on single implants. Um, it was kind of a small cohort of, of about 20 patients. And after 10 years, we could see 18 of those back to, to be reassessed. And one of the main uh, findings of that publication was that uh, even though mid-facial recession was on average 0.5, 0.6 millimeters. We found that in about one third of the patients, we had uh, advanced mid-facial recession being uh, one millimeters or more. So this, this is quite visible from, uh, from the, by the untrained eye and is therefore clinically important. Um, we sure. did some sub-analysis on that to find out what could be the reason for that? But maybe we can come to that later. Um, another finding was that uh, the buckle bone was was uh, was quite uh, well developed after ten years, uh, beyond some some exceptions, uh, which which was also good good uh, good to know. So that at least from a clinical point of view, immediate implant placement is a safe procedure in the long term. Okay, that's very, very well to know. And uh, thank you very much for sharing with us your knowledge and your experience and the data, of course, for uh, about this uh, publication. So let me ask you, um, uh, after, uh, you know, your extensive research and your clinical experience, uh, um, uh, immediate implant placement is something that uh, you, you, you recommend and uh, generally speaking, uh, um, which are the indications that uh, you, you feel like... Uh, uh, to share with us uh, about uh, when to perform an immediate implant? Mm -hmm. A very important question, I would say, um, but but with a quite complex answer. So <laughs> yeah. uh, the prerequisites to stay on the safe side with immediate implants uh, are quite challenging, even though it is a, it is a beautiful um, treatment concept for the patient as well as for the clinician. But I think there are some important pitfalls that need to be recognized and need to be avoided uh, in order to come to uh, yeah, predictable treatment. 
And I would say there are about five to six uh, prerequisites that need to be simultaneously met for a predictable outcome. And the first one is that uh, you cannot have infection, active infection like an abscess or something. Um, okay. It's contraproductive for bone formation and wound stability. So this is uh, this is the first one. Um, the scientific backup for that is quite uh, poor, but I think it's common sense that we don't place implants in an infected area. I'm not talking about uh, chronic apical lesions uh, because there is some literature indicating that this might be uh, predictable, but I'm talking about acute infection like an abscess. Yeah, the sure. second uh, important prerequisite is that you need apical and palatal bone for um, implant anchorage. If you see on a, on a two-dimensional radiograph that you are dealing with a very long route uh, and that the base of the, the alveolar process is quite limited or non-existing, uh, then you cannot pursue immediate placement. So you can learn a lot from an, an, a two-dimensional radiograph from a screening point of view. Uh, of course, if you have a short route and if you have uh, at the same time a lot of apical bone that allows you for implant anchorage, you could take then a, a three-dimensional radiograph to make a 3D planning. So that would be a second prerequisite. Sure. And uh, the angulation of the tooth is also important. If so the, you mean the sagittal root position? Yes, yes. The oh, sagittal okay. position of the root within the alveolar process. If yeah. the, the, the tooth is within the bone envelope, this is a go a potential go for immediate placement. If it is outside the envelope, so if the apex of the tooth is facing outward, uh, then that I would is, say uh, yeah. this is a patient that is potentially um, uh, a risky patient for for heavy bone resorption and exactly. for uh, soft tissue changes. Yeah, because I, I, as you, you are pointing out, uh, uh, there are ideal and less than ideal situations. But when we are dealing with immediate implants in the static zone in particular, at least I would like to, to deal only with the ideal situation. Yes. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you know, to, to have a compromised result is just, you know, a matter of well, yeah. really of nothing. Yeah. I, I always say here in the clinic, with immediate implant placement, you only get one shot, yeah, one exactly. possibility. If you screw that up, then then uh, yeah, this this is potentially yeah. a disaster that you are facing, and and the young colleagues need to be aware of that. And, Notwithstanding and me... that, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, Notwithstanding that, we are trying to expand the indications for immediate placement, uh, not only doing it in very ideal circumstances, but also. Uh, trying to uh, to implement the concept in sometimes non-intact buccal bone uh, situations. So dehiscences, um, we have a study on that now uh, with with uh, with interesting results, and there are also prospective and retrospective case series in the literature showing that this could be explored, that this is an option. But I have to tell you that the that there are no randomized controlled trials as such on that topic. So uh, well, that's, that's, a, that's a very that's a very good point. Actually, we were talking uh, yesterday. Uh, I was in a webinar with the the, the, 
the students at Harvard, they asked me, you know, they why we don't have some uh, RCTs about the topic. And I said, yes, there is one for we general think of periodontology, but honestly, to design an RCTs with immediate implant placement, I think it would be kind of unethical for the patient because you have to select the case for immediate implant placement. It's not that you can flip a coin and say, okay, this is going to be an immediate implant or not. The way we could design it is to identify all ideal patients for immediate implant placement and then randomize them. So, yeah, yeah that's probably that it. But in order to expand the, the, the indications, we need more information from option observational studies in yeah. the dehiscence-like defects to see what, what the clinical and the aesthetic outcome of these patients is also in the longer term. And then we could develop a, a randomized control trial to stay on the safe side with this concept in these more risky patients. Yeah. And and the other thing I wanted to ask you, Jan, it's uh, for you, immediate implant placement, uh, it means uh, always immediate uh, provisionalization or not? I mean, the advantage for immediate implant placement, it's probably in the head of, uh, of the colleagues, of the clinicians, is that you can immediately screw the provisional. Otherwise... Yeah, I think that is a detail of the treatment. The the thing yeah. is, you you want to offer a patient a fast treatment approach, and it can only be offered when you combine it with immediate provisionalization. The patient doesn't really care about the implant itself. It he, he or she cares about the tooth, which is installed exactly. on top of that. So, in my eyes, in my way of thinking, uh, immediate provisionalization is an is a step. An, an, an essential step of immediate implant placement. So it, it, we, we consider it standard of care. Of course, there are situations where it cannot be done if you don't have sufficient yeah. primary implant stability. Okay, then you stop right there because you want the implant to integrate and then you, 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 you proceed a few months later. Yeah? But that would sure. be the exception. Yeah, even but even in that case, it, it could still uh, an advantage for the patient because uh, you know you can maybe temporize the patient with a Maryland bridge without preparation, but you can still take the impression, uh, like a digital impression, at the time of the implant placement, and then when you remove the Maryland bridge, you already have the provision already without staging the yeah. you know second yeah. stage and uh, the healing and everything. So it's still it's still an advantage, great advantage for the patient. Yeah. But as you said, uh, there are, of course, uh, uh, some uh, risks factors. And uh, one, one of these is, uh, as you mentioned, the implant positioning. So I'm asking you, do you think the IDED uh, uh, computer uh, surgery, um, the guided surgery can, can help us in some way to be more, uh, uh, the, the, to increase the accuracy of the implant placement? Or you think this is something that, you know, it's not needed. Well, uh, I think digital technology adds something valuable here. Of course, we are in a very complex situation, um, but I think it's needed. I would say also it has become standard of care in the anterior maxilla, maxilla to install immediate implants with a surgical guide. The thing is, if you do it free-handed, um, especially when you are untrained, the burr will follow the way of least resistance, which is to buckle. So your, your implant will end up too buckly positioned 
with all the consequences of mid-facial recession and anesthetic failure. So you cannot have that. So in order to avoid that, you need palatal anchorage and you need to engage that palatal bone wall, which is very um, elegantly hard. done with a surgical guide. Yeah, this is and it's one very thing. hard. So sometimes, as you said, the, the bird tends to, to slip uh, uh, you know, toward the, the, the buckle, absolutely. That's, that's exactly but correct. The second second thing, and this this has been underestimated uh, heavily, even though you use a surgical guide, huh? if you don't prepare the palatal bone wall sufficiently, you will see the tilting of the implant while inserting it into the osteotomy. So you need to take away a lot the, the amount of palatal bone um, interfering with a perfect implant position and angulation. And you can do that by, by means of a stepwise approach, meaning that you, you will uh, take away more palatal bone in the coronal aspect, or you can use a, a, a like a JD bone track drill, which only takes away the palatal bone and leaves the buccal, buccal bone and also the apical part of the, uh, the osteotomy untouched. So this, this, I think the combination of those two is, is very crucial to arrive at a predictable three-dimensional implant position, which is crucial. If, if I have to, 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 to name one risk factor for a failure with, with aesthetic, with, with immediate implant placement, is it position. Op optimal implant position. All that's the a, that's a, is, is I, yeah, what, what I would say is, is an additional benefit, potential additional benefit, but there is one crucial aspect, and this is the implant positioning. I totally, totally agree with you. And this aspect that you are mentioning about the uh, osteotomy into the buckle, into the uh, palatal plate, is very, very important. So, for instance, what I, I do, you know, I, I, I use a, a, a two-three-ten stand, like guided stand, but when I, I do the, invi the, the invite of, of the first two-millimeter uh, twist wheel, I do it freehand uh, with the piezo surgery or with the round diamond burn just to uh, make the invitation for 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 even for the guided surgery uh, mm -hmm. drill. So it will make my my drilling sequence much much easier and, and more predictable. Because as you said, uh, you you're drilling through the guide, but then your implant can <laughs> still moves yeah. back if you haven't prepared. Uh, accurately, the um, the osteotomy. That's that's very very oh. true. And for all of that, uh, you need you need experience, eh, Luca. You know? Yes, exactly. And I'm the sure. other aspect that I, I I wanted to 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 talk about is is the apical coronal uh, positioning because uh, you know how many times have you seen an implant, immediate implant that is too deep or too coronal, and that's you know suddenly you have after five years or even less a perimplantitis but that's a complication that is a complication it's not a disease i mean it's of course then it develops a disease but it's a problem that is related to the apical coronal position of the implant and this is a, a high problem a real problem when you are doing flapless surgery uh, and underneath the flap you have a scalloping architecture and you don't have a flat bone a flat surface of bone. And that's that's that yeah. that's the, the key, I, I believe, with guided surgery, you know, it can yeah. be really, really helpful. Well, I think that the the buccopalatal implant positioning is the most crucial and most difficult one to achieve. The the coronal apical position is uh, 
quite quite straightforward, meaning that from the the free mucosal margin, which you leave attached because I don't make a flap. That's important. Don't make a flap for immediate placement. So this one, this position is like a landmark. It's unattached. And you measured exactly four millimeters from that distance. And there is where your bone level implant needs to be, yeah, the, the, the shoulder. And this gives sure. you space for a perfect emergence profile. Because if you come closer, yeah, three millimeters, two millimeters, then it becomes too bulky from the distance that you have. If you go deeper, you will have saucerization. It's too deep then. So, so I would say 3.5, four millimeters is my distance uh, to, sure. to to reach there uh, and if you raise a flap which is not good for wound stability etc but it makes you much more difficult to to attain a perfect vertical positioning because you don't have the landmark anymore uh. yeah it's not uh, dictated yeah, by the bone it's dictated by the soft tissue margin sure you have the soft tissue margin so that's not not that yeah. complicated and now that you mentioned that the the, the buckle plate, you know, it's intact uh, when when we are planning this uh, type of uh, surgeries, uh, and you keep your pal your implant, of course, uh, uh, palatally, we are going to leave a gap, all right? That we 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 know from the literature there has been a lot of discussion about this gap, but I I, I my understanding is that now it's clear to everybody that, that we need to have this gap, right? Yeah, we need a gap, and and we, we find it from. From the group of Arao, who and the first author is Levine, uh, yeah. showed, showed last year that you need a, a gap surpassing two millimeters to have a stable blood clot, eh, which, yeah. which promotes bone formation. So we should aim for a, a wide gap eh, for that blood clot stability and for uh, for the, 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 the insertion of the BBM. Yeah. In the space maintaining uh... A concept of the scaffold or a phenograph that it, it perhaps uh, it doesn't resorb the long term and it, it still maintain uh, the, the space and uh, so this is uh, definitely exactly. something uh, uh, indicated and uh, um, so uh, um, you, you mentioned in your paper that that, that there were uh, a gingival recession with the with the um, apical migration of the gingival margin, okay, uh, around the uh, implant restoration uh, place post-extractory, immediate after the extraction. Um, uh, do you think that this is uh, uh, due more to a, a inadequate thickness of the bone phenotype or of the tissue? Uh, or it's difficult to, 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 to oh. answer this or to know, I mean, well, we were a bit surprised, and it it provoked some kind of a, a step back at that time, uh, in those years, uh, because we were a bit disappointed. But if we we look at the results, it's not really associated or the result of immediate implant placement per se, but it could be linked to the uh, sub optimal implant positioning we had in a few cases there, because we have we had additional CBCTs which allowed us to evaluate the implant position after 10 years. Yeah. And I can suspect that this doesn't change over time. Yeah? So this is yeah. a risk factor. And we also observed that uh, not performing connective tissue grafting in those cases uh, increases the risk for mid-facial recession over 10 years' time. So 
soft tissue augmentation is a protective measure for soft tissue stability. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, that's very interesting because uh, uh, there are coming out a lot of uh, articles uh, uh, about you know, the, the, the importance of increasing the thickness of the soft tissue. There is this nice uh, uh, article about implant phenotype uh, of Gustavo uh, Avila that uh, recently was published. And, uh, you know, we, we seem to give much more importance to the thickness of, of, of the soft tissue. So my, my, my question to you is, uh, when do you think uh, uh, is uh, indicated and uh, when in the time, in the timing, uh, let's say, of the planning of the surgery, we should do this, uh, um, uh, this grafting? Mm -hmm. So first question is when? Um... Or why? Yeah, when? When? Uh, yeah, why is indicated? I mean, why, when, when is indicated? Um, I would say that doing it as a standard uh, measure of care or, or st a standard of care may be surgical overtreatment. Uh, if you are dealing with low risk patients, probably you don't need it. But these are the exceptions. Um, the thing is, what is then a high risk patient? We have not yet clearly defined that. We are now, now running a multi-center RCT, trying to identify these high-risk patients. And I can tell you from the preliminary results that a thin tissue biotype is a risk factor and a non-intact buccal bone wall is a risk factor. Because in these patients, we see more horizontal and vertical soft tissue changes within six months after implant placement, immediate implant placement. So I think we will we will step, move forward in, in identifying risk patients in that matter. Uh, so at least in these, these patients, we need a soft tissue graft and it would be beneficial to identify these patients beforehand, before the treatment. Uh, now, what we are doing now is we, we, we don't do the soft tissue grafting sometimes, and we need to come back to that later on in the treatment trajectory because we see that we have a collapse of the tissues and we need to augment it anyhow. Which brings so, me to, uh, to the... Yeah, to the second question, when, when to when, perform it, exactly. Yeah. There are no randomized controlled trials on the when, uh, being immediately at the time of implant placement or after implant integration. We are also doing an RCT on that. We don't have preliminary results yet. I cannot share that with you because they, they don't exist yet. Um, but of course, doing it at the same time has, to, has the benefit of reducing it to one surgical procedure, which is in, sure. the, in the interest of the patient and the surgeon. On the other side, Technically, from a technical point of view, it's much more difficult to do it at the time of tooth extraction because the soft tissue thickness is very, very fragile and thin to make a buccal envelope. If you do that three months later, you have some bone resorption, but some replacement of that bone by soft tissue. So that soft tissues will have become thicker, which makes it easier to make a buckle pouch to insert a soft tissue graft. So from a technical point of view, it's easier after three months, um, but it may not be in the, in, the, in the interest of the patient. So I cannot yeah, answer, I... answer you now what is the optimal time point to do that. Okay. I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I don't think we, 
uh, it's a good thing you're running a, an RCTs, but uh, I don't think that uh, from uh, uh, you know for the um, the the principal issue of of, of of the paper, you're going to find a, a huge difference in terms of outcomes uh, because uh, um, I, I believe uh, you know as far as you do it uh, before the recession happen and before you have a provisionalized uh, or you have uh, put place the final uh, um, crown in the implants and then the 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 the, 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 the recession happens uh, uh, that that's where things get more difficult and more complicated uh, and maybe you have some of the abutment exposed uh, and that's sometimes it's it's a, it's, a, it's a surgery that is not in everybody's hands to, yeah. to to perform that type of surgery because what i would like to point out is that uh, when we are increasing the thickness uh, of uh, uh, after a tooth extraction it's much much uh, different than when we are doing a root coverage procedure that it's more more difficult I mean, this is not something uh, uh, like uh, really advanced. I mean, we create a small pouch, as Jan uh, just pointed out. If you do it when the, 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 the tissue is thicker, after two, three, four months, it's probably better and easier. And uh, you just slice a, a piece of uh, connected tissue, which brings me to, to, to another question about this. Where are you harvesting your, your graft on the palate? Are you taking from the lateral palate or, or the tuberosity? And do you have you seen uh, differences in this type of yeah. grafting? We never take the tuberosity for immediate placement. Yeah. There are the other yeah. indications for that. If you need especially thick grafts of lamina propria, you can uh, you can harvest there. But for immediate placement, you need a, a thin graft of about 0.5, one millimeter of thickness. It's not really about the thickness. It's about preservation of what you have. Uh, so you need to add a little piece of thickness uh, uh, of good quality, preferably lamina propria, with not too much dimension. Uh, um, so we go to the lateral palate. We go to the to the premolar area. And uh, usually we did a single incision technique for that. Uh, but uh, the last two years we are uh, using, in fact, a free gingival uh, a graft that we de-epithelialize de intraorally, quite deep epithelial de-epithelialization of about 0.81 millimeter to take away every epithelial remnant. Mm. We take it and then we reverse it. So meaning that the 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 outer part uh, is faced inward, uh, face is facing the implant. Um, okay. As if you have some epithelial remnants. The distance to the surface should be as as large as possible to have no no aesthetic uh, um, side effects or consequences like scarring or something. Yeah, no, no, that's interesting. I, I uh, this is something new uh, to me because I, I uh, you know, I usually take the free graft, but I I, I deepitalize uh, superficially because. Uh, um, you know the, the 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 thickness of the epithelium is 0 0.3, 0 0.37, so it's 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 not that thick. But as you said, there could still remnants of epithelial cells, and sometimes uh, you 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 experience like a, a like a cyst sort of cyst formation. The uh, thing is, is Luca, the on average is 0.3 millimeter of thickness. 
Huh? Yeah, but, but it can go deeper. But the yeah, read packs go to 0.8. There is a recent study on that. So you need to get rid of 0.8 just to make yeah. sure. That means that you need deep de-epithelialization. That, 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 that's interesting and that's uh, very wise. Um, uh, uh, last thing is, uh, I, I mean to ask you, um, uh, what about a substitute, a soft tissue substitute? I mean, uh, do you think that uh, we are we are there? We are far away from uh, the standard of gold standard, you know, the, the connected tissue graft, or we're getting closer to to what? I think we are, we are we are getting closer. Huh? We are getting okay. closer. But um, if this is generally speaking, I would say it is a benefit to have that. Huh? Uh, when we talk, for instance, about a healed ridge and we need to increase the thickness, uh, I think we are slowly getting there. Uh, the, the, the current collagen matrices are not what we want yet. Uh, we have to yeah. be honest in that. Uh, but I think we will have some improvements and maybe we should not expect them to be as equal as a connective tissue graft. Uh, they should approach the outcome, but maybe it is it is an... Uh, an over expectation to have them uh, performed uh, equally that's that's one thing when you talk specifically about immediate placement i don't think there is a big uh, indication for soft tissue grafts here uh, because you need a very thin uh, soft tissue yeah. graft which is easily taken <laughs> the patient morbidity shouldn't be exaggerated to be honest if we have uh, visual analog scales and 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 uh, what what patients tell us objectively on the the morbidity of this this surgery it's very limited and it's rarely more than 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 when you use a substitute. So yeah, uh, no, no, I, I I agree with you. And the other ask the other problem with the substitute in this case is that we are not elevating a flap. We are really yes. creating a small pouch, and we can push the tissue, but not this, not the substitute. So yeah. it would be. Almost yeah, it impossible. Would, would be kind of tricky to have a, bo a, a soft tissue substitute in that pouch. Yeah, uh, it's it's from a technical point of view, it may be more difficult than inserting much more difficult. Graft, eh? Yeah. So uh, you, you in, in any case, you need surgical experience also for that. Yeah. So Jana, I, I I really want to thank you. So I I want to uh, to to draw some conclusion here. So. Um, after your, your your experience and your as a, as a, I mentioned before, it's really one of the only paper of the few uh, paper in the literature with a ten years prospective study of single immediate implants. I mean, uh, uh, um, if you if you meet the condition that we just discussed, immediate implants ago, it's a treatment that we can uh, say yes, let's do it. Uh, it's a, it's proficient, it's efficient, it's predictable. Uh, and uh, it, it will, uh, uh, you know, bring some benefits to the patient, the clinician as well. I mean, yeah. it's, it's this, we can draw this conclusion. What do, what do, you, what do you say? I, I, I totally agree. But there is still one aspect that we haven't discussed yet. It is the prosthetic part. Huh? There is a beautiful okay, yeah, study of, of, the, of the Zurich group, the, the, the Siegenthaler paper, on the, on the, uh, the emergence profile of yeah. the provisional restoration. I think you can screw the case with a with a lousy prosthetic uh, emergence profile. You, it needs to be concave. Eh? Otherwise, if, if it is convex, you push everything away. Uh, 
So yeah, no, 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 no. That's totally. I mean, this is a, something that uh, you know the group uh, from Arnold Weisgold published back in 2010 about the subcritical contour non, uh, and non-critical contour yes. about the emergence yeah. profile. That, that that's it's very true. The the, the point that uh, I am very uh, on this, so I'm more yeah. <laughs> interested in the surgical aspect as a, the, the the procedure. Something I don't really deal with, but uh, you're totally right. I mean, but for for us. The concept is to prepare the best environment, uh, the best environment as possible for you know a skilled prosthodontist, a, a person who knows what yeah. he is doing, of course, to to prevent, of course, this from happening. Well, Thank I you. think we cover uh, uh, the topic very well, Ian. I, I really, I really thank you very much for for being uh, uh, with the uh, osteology, uh, part of the osteology interview. Uh, it was very exciting for me. And uh, I'm looking forward to meet you in person uh, sometime soon. Thank you, Luca, and thank you for uh, the opportunity of discussing this interesting topic with you. Okay. Have a good day, and bye, everybody. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Regeneration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation.